Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. Religion is one thing, the Bible is a religious book, and then there's science and reality. It's a very good school system. All of the students have a national curriculum. It's filled with evolutionary concepts, just like in America. The textbooks were printed here in Australia and England. And they totally disconnect the two. And we help them understand right off the bat that this isn't even a statement of religion. It's a statement of reality and science. See, a scientist has five things to work with. He, has, he can study time, space, and matter. And he can study force and energy. Time, space, matter, force, and energy, and figure out how it all works, how creation works. The very first statement God gives us is that in the beginning, time. God is the ultimate force because he made it all. Created, it takes energy. The heaven is literally a word that means space, and the earth is a Hebrew word meaning matter. Time, space, energy, force, and matter. And in one short verse, God starts with everything science has to work with and tells it where, where it all came from. It's a statement of reality, not religion. So we start to introduce these concepts to the students. Now, God doesn't have to justify himself, and he doesn't even have to provide the evidence that it's true. And yet he has, unbelievably so. And we're going to go to a second in a verse in the book of Romans, Romans 1, 19 and 20, but as we look at the world in America, if I was to walk into America and do some of the stuff that I'm about to show you in the high schools of America, I would be pulled off the stage and sued. If I was a teacher, I'd be out of a job so fast it would make your head spin. Watch some of the stuff, just simple, logical stuff from science that we're gonna share this evening and think about, wow, why can't that be done in America? And what would happen if it was? And why, this is the primary overarching question we're gonna talk about tonight. Why is the world around us becoming increasingly blind to what God says is so obvious, that he created it all. He created life, he created the universe, he created stars, he created matter, energy, he created the DNA code. He really made supernaturally different kinds of animals. That's what we're told if you read the Bible like any other book. And yet the world around us, and we're not talking stupid people, we're talking PhDs, brilliant 200 IQ folks, people writing the textbooks, spending their lives studying the nuances of creation, they come to a totally different conclusion. Are they all just trying to deceive themselves? Do they say, oh gee, I just, I've, I've got to deceive myself and ignore everything and convince myself that the obvious thing that isn't true is true. Is that the way they go through life? I don't think so. Something much deeper is going on. Now, our kind of key verse for tonight is Romans 1, 19 and 20, as I said. And this is what it says. That which may be known about God is manifest in them. Now, this is a statement to all of humanity through all of time. And manifest means obvious. That which may be known about God is obvious to every human being. Why? because God hath shown it unto us. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen how? Being understood by the things that are made. 
All we have to do is look at what's been made in creation, and we will know. We won't think. We won't hope. We won't guess. We will know God exists. Even his very power in God, his, his creativity and immense power. So everybody, they, every human being is without excuse. You understand? This is actually a missions verse. That's why we go into the world. If people had an excuse for not belief in God, God would be unjust in judging them. How can you judge someone who has no excuse? How they couldn't have known better. The reason no human being can go to heaven is not just because they've sinned, but because they know better. They know they have a creator. And they know, therefore, they ought to obey that creator because of creation. Now, how can that be? When the whole, the, you know, one little more side thought. The latest poll of the American culture where Barna has looked at the, the beliefs of our culture by age category, people right now that have just come out of college and they're between 25 and 35, only 18% of them have any interest in stepping into any church in America. 18%. How long is the church going to survive with that kind of turnover and change? And why? When asked, they said, because we don't believe what the church believes. In essence, we've been taught everything can be explained without God. The church is talking about creation. We know evolution's a fact. We don't believe it. Why would we go there? Why would we spend our money? Why would we spend our time? And they don't because they've been trained to leave God out of their thinking. Now, there are great mysteries of science that have never been solved. And the people in these areas of science, they know it. They just don't talk about it. And what they have is faith that science will eventually figure it out. Now, what I'm going to show you is that we have figured it out. You see, God told us in the very first command to take dominion over creation. That word means to study it, understand it, control it. Science is about studying, understanding, and controlling creation. You understand the very first thing God told mankind to do was to go do science, to understand creation. Why? We can learn from it, number one. All sorts of inventions have come because we understood creation. And secondly, because then we would know he exists without any iota of doubt. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the formation of the universe first. First, we're going to look at like physics and cosmology. That's one area of science. Then we're going to look at biology, biology, medicine, the medical sciences. That's one, the second area. Then we're going to look at geology, the geological sciences, and a couple examples of each. You see, there's only two possibilities for why anything exists. If you think of this box, now use your imaginations with me. Think of this box as the universe. The entire universe is represented by this box. I am holding the universe in my hand. <laughs> Where did it come from? And if you kind of open up, you find out, oh, it's a jewelry box. It's filled with all these beautiful jewels and necklaces and braided beads and all this fancy stuff. Those might be like the animals here on Earth. They're really finely crafted. But how did they get here? Where did they come from? 
there's only two possibilities. Either the box made itself, okay? That's the Big Bang. That's cosmic evolution. Where did life come from? Chemicals came together, chemical evolution. How did animals go all the way from bacteria to people? Well, they say because of biological evolution. It all made itself. That's one possibility. Or the box has a box maker. Now, a three-year-old child would get the answer right. Where'd the box come from, Susie? Why, well, you made it? They're gonna get it right. A college 200 IQ PhD astrophysicist. Where did the universe come from? Why, it made itself in the Big Bang. There was a cosmic fluctuation of the time-space continuum, and it all expansively exploded and turned into the matter and energy we see around us. See, I've explained it now. You don't believe me? Nothing turned into everything. Watch this little video clip of a PhD astrophysicist studies cosmology, where did everything come from, teaching the world around us where did it all come from. I'm Jana, and I'm a professor of physics and astronomy. I work on where it all started. The simplest picture of the Big Bang starts with nothing. There's really nothing. There's no space, there's no time, there's no matter, there's no energy. It's nothing but the potential to exist. And out of that bursts the universe. Okay, now Time's I'm, gonna, I'm gonna stop it right there because I want that ringing in your ears. In the beginning, there was nothing. Absolutely nothing. And then it expanded and turned into everything. All the matter and all the energy. And then she goes on and throws in the billions of years and says the earth formed and life formed and here we are. Now, can nothing do something? No. Can nothing become something? No. It is so obvious nobody could miss it. It is the most firmly established law of all science. Matter and energy can never make itself. You can't create it, you can't destroy it. Every observation, every test, every particle accelerator, everything we have ever done or seen confirms it. There's never been an exception. So what conclusion should we draw? If there's two possibilities, the universe and everything in it made itself, or something outside the universe made the universe, the law of science says it couldn't have made itself. What should we conclude? Something must have made it. Someone must have made it of incredible power, intelligence, and creativity. It isn't non-scientific. It is the only logical evidence. Now, you can't prove creation in a scientific laboratory, but you can disprove that the other alternative is a possibility, and that's what has been done. It's also called the law of conservation of matter and energy. You see, whenever you do a process, you can never make anything new and you can never get rid of anything. It's always just re-shuffled re and rebalanced. Then there's a second law of science. Albert Einstein said this is the most critical law of which all other science rests. It's called the second law of thermodynamics and it says entropy will always increase. Now that sounds pretty technical, so let me explain it. Entropy is a measure of usable energy or randomness. Every process, if left to itself, will result in a reduction of usable energy. 
the universe is burning up, the stars are burning up, everything's slowly cooling down, it'll eventually, if you just leave it alone, come to a uniform temperature and nothing could happen. You shuffle a deck of cards, it doesn't become more and more ordered, it becomes more disordered. We see this law of science in operation everywhere. If you don't maintain a house, guess what? It's gonna turn to rubble given enough time. If you don't maintain your cars, guess what? They're gonna rust and turn into a rust bucket, which I drive one, by the way, all over the country, and I see it happening, little molecule at a time. If you don't, okay, this is where it happened. Shut this down and then open her back up. For whatever reason, my presentation locks up on this slide. Okay, bring it back up. If you don't maintain your bodies, you're gonna die. Guess what? You're gonna die anyway. Unto man is appointed once to die because we're all sinners. And even though Christ came and paid that price, there's still the consequence of our actions. It happens throughout all of human history. Even King David, a man after God's own heart, he was still paying the consequences of his sins, even when forgiven. You see, every cell that divides, because we rebelled against God, and he didn't want us to live forever because we would have been forever separated from him, something called the fall happened. He changed the entire universe, so death entered into it. And every cell that divides is a little worse than the cell before, a few more little mistakes, a few more problems, and then more and more and more. And eventually you start looking like me. My hair ain't brown anymore. My skin, gravity's starting to pull me down to the ground. Your muscles start to deteriorate. Everything starts sagging. You can't stop it, because every cell in your body with every division is a little worse than the one before. It is reality. So you better know where you're gonna go once it reaches its conclusion and your body gives up the ghost. Now I did a little experiment and I wanted to just see, was well, this true or not? Could a bacteria slowly turn into like some sort of a fungus that would turn into a fish, that could turn into a land animal, that could turn into a reptile and a bird and a monkey and the monkey's sitting there and thinking, you know what, if I would just quit peeling bananas and drop out of this tree and plant some hops and barley and brew some beer and build some cities, I could become a person. <laughs> well, that's what evolution says. Could it happen? Could things increase in complexity? So I did a little experiment. I took a picture of a frog, and this is about 20 years ago when copy machines weren't quite as good as today, but the same thing will happen today, just a little slower, and I made a copy. Took the second copy, used it to make the third copy. Took the third copy, used it to make the fourth copy. That's what life does. Takes the information of our DNA code, the mother and father have a child, it's a copy of them, and then they grow up and make a copy of that. You copy of copy of copy. Well, here's what it looked like 50 copies later. Does it look like it's turning into something like more advanced than a frog? Starting to grow wings and feathers? No, it's starting to disappear. Here's 100 copies later. Its, it's fingers are deteriorating. Nothing new is forming. Nothing more advanced is happening. 200 copies later, it's, it's, it's totally disappearing. The information is decaying. Exactly what's happened with life, every form of life. Life can't be millions of years old on this planet. It is a biological, observable fact of science, but it's just ignored by the world around us.
because they've got to have that time frame to hang on to the belief that everything made itself to leave God out of their thinking to get away from accountability. That's what's going on all around us, and it is so powerful. Now, that was cosmology, the, the actual laws of physics that point to the reality that we have a creator. So how can people be so blind? Because everybody knows these laws. Physicists, cosmologists, they know the laws. They really have never proven the way around it. You see, the reason they say nothing turned into everything is because if they start with something, they have to explain where did that something come from. And they can't go there. So they have to assume nothing became everything. It's an assumption. It's not science. It's a story. Evolution's a story to leave God out. But it's presented as science. The father of modern psychology, a man called Dr. William James, studied human beings his whole life. His goal was to figure out why do we believe what we believe? How does the brain come to the conclusion of what is truth? And this was his final conclusion about all of humanity. He said, nothing is too absurd to be believed if you just repeat it often enough. Think about that. We're being taught that chemicals just came alive all by themselves. Never been seen to occur. We've been taught that monkeys turned into people and were 98% similar. Turns out that's a total, absolute, abject lie. Now that we've decoded chimpanzee and human DNA, there are over 300 million different letters in the chimp DNA book and in the human DNA book. Somewhere between 10 and 20% totally different. Now there's similarity because we all eat the same foods, we have the same number of fingers, we, have, we, we breathe the same air, so there's lots of the same coding, but enormous differences. But if it's repeated over and over, 98% identical, 98% identical, matter and energy made itself, cosmic evolution, 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 millions, 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 millions of years, people just believe it. That's what he found out. Now let me show you how this works. God made our very brains to work this way. And the example is our eyes. As you're looking at me, the light goes through a lens and it is flipped upside down. So in the back of your eye, in the retina, I am standing upside down. Do you understand? Do I look upside down? Need a little interaction. Do I look upside down? Good. Otherwise, we'd need a sobriety test. <laughs> you can't even make me look upside down because your brain does this automatically. Well, scientists a few years ago wanted to figure out, are our brains wired this way, or can we choose to see and believe things any way we want to? Watch this little video. For example, if seeing were done only in the eye, everything would be upside down to us. Just as in a camera, the lens of the eye forms the image upside down. The image is then inverted by the brain so that it appears right side up. Now, what would happen if a lens system were used to form the image right side up? Well, the brain would immediately invert the image so that it would be upside down. But would this condition be permanent? To answer this question, we asked Mr. Gratz, our optical expert, to design for us a pair of inverting spectacles. While the spectacles were being constructed in our shop, we faced the problem of who was going to wear the things continuously for several weeks. You'll want to meet our unlucky winner. That's right, me. 
Even from the first, it was possible to walk in this topsy-turvy fashion. But it didn't take long to develop a rollicking case of seasickness. We decided that for your sake as well as ours, we'd better conduct our first test sitting down. However, just sitting down wasn't so easy. Even the simplest tasks were at first impossible. No amount of concentration or effort could overcome the compulsion to reach in the wrong direction. <laughs> the inverting spectacles had to be worn every waking moment during the entire period of the experiment. Anytime the glasses were removed, the eyes were closed or fully covered. Walking to work upside down was an exhausting experience but it provided a valuable period of relearning and reorientation. It also caused quite a stir in the neighborhood. <laughs> Gradually, it became easier to get around in this upside-down world. By a slow and painful process, the image in the brain had been erected. Now, there's a really profound lesson here. You understand? His brain is getting information, and it's, his brain is saying, that's the opposite of what I know to be true. It's 180 degrees backwards, but it keeps coming. It's the opposite, it's the opposite, it's the opposite. And it wasn't in, like after a week, he could see things at 45 degrees, and then maybe in 10 days, things are tilted at 80 degrees. He wakes up one morning, and all of a sudden, with the glasses on, everything is now right side up. His brain decided, all this information that keeps coming to me, even though I know it's absolutely backwards, it must be true because it keeps coming. And his brain now believes the exact opposite of what he used to believe. That's what our brains are capable of. And that's just with an image. Think how much easier with just a belief to just get it flipped around. You understand people don't around us believe in huge time periods and evolution because they've seen all of the evidence and it's such overwhelming evidence, it's because they hear it over and over and over and over and over and over again, and it becomes the framework of reality. And then when you put something in front of them that shows it couldn't possibly be true, it bounces off like a rubber ball off a wall because the brain has formed a framework, well, it's got to be true. And they'll just say, well, we'll figure that out some day. And it won't even sink in. That's what goes on all around us. It's much more profound than just choosing to be stupid. These people aren't stupid. She's being trained by an entire education system to leave God out of their thinking. So what's God tell us? Couldn't be more clear. God says, thy word is the lamp unto my feet and the light unto my path. Not our observations, not our opinions, not the latest scientific speculation. It's God's word. And if we leave it out, we are in danger of seeing an absolute total 180 degree lie as if it's the truth. It's why God keeps coming back to this over and over and over again from cover to cover in his word. He keeps saying, write it on your doorpost, meditate on it daily, over and over again. Because if we don't, how do we even know what we believe to be true? You can see what the human brain can do. You don't even know it, and you're seeing things upside down. Now that, 
have to do it again. I apologize. Okay, here we go. Okay, bring her back up. That was just a summary of the first one. Now we're going to look at a couple examples from biological sciences. And I'm going to have to speed up just a little bit. This is the equation that all the school children essentially get to see, that somehow simple life formed, and if there's little changes, which is absolutely true, every kind of life has all sorts of variety, all sorts of dogs, all sorts of butterflies, all sorts of a certain kind of fish, all sorts of cows, all sorts of cats, but they stay cats, they stay cows, they stay butterflies. But if there are little changes, says evolution, and those changes are useful, Maybe over millions of generations, one animal could change into a totally different animal, and students will see examples of useful changes. And they'll start to believe it. And it is presented this way. This well-preserved skeleton of a megastronodon allows an accurate reconstruction of our own earliest ancestor. Now, that's a picture and a quote from a college textbook. Is that presented as a theory? This is our earliest ancestor. Well, let me make it simple. Grandpa. Well, that's what it says. It is a scientific fact that that is great, 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 if that's just too incredible for you to believe, is that something turned into people, some sort of ape-like creature. Where did it come from? Must have come from a four-legged creature. So if you leave God out, that's the only thing left. That's why it's presented as a fact. It's not a fact. It is a story that nobody's ever observed. And the simplest cell is more complex than the most enormous factory or even city that you can imagine, made of thousands and thousands of parts, a bacteria. And every one of those parts is unique. The most common chemical of life is a chemical called a protein, and it's made of a whole bunch of smaller parts called amino acids. It's like these colored beads. Now, a bacteria would have a thousand different arrangements of these beads, and every one is perfect and specific. Every color's got to be in the right spot because they form little molecular machines that'll bend and fold and twist to turn into motors and transport systems and chemicals and energy factories and disposal systems and cell membranes. And if even one color's in the wrong spot, it doesn't work. Now let me show you what one of these proteins looks like. Okay, that's one protein and every color's in the right spot. And nowhere can you go and find anything remotely close to any protein that would work inside of life. They're only made inside of living cells. But even if you have all of the parts, I like to do this little experiment, I call it the magic can of evolution. You got a monkey on one side, you got a man on the other. You had to add lots of parts to something before it could become a monkey. And literally, you have to change a whole bunch of parts of a monkey before it becomes a man. Well, I thought, how can I demonstrate this? So I figured, well, let's just use a pin. The can had a pin in it. A pin is a little machine with lots of parts. It has a tip. Now, you'll notice the tip is designed to become part of a pin. 
can't just walk out somewhere in a desert island where nobody's ever been and find the tip of a pin. It had to have been manufactured by intelligence. That's exactly what we have when we look at these very specific chemicals of life. You don't find them anywhere, not on Mars, not in a pond, not on the moon, not anywhere, except inside of cells. It has a spring. It has an ink cartridge. That's three different parts. Then as you unscrew it, you have a big tube to hold it all together. That's four parts. A little clicker mechanism, so it goes click, click, click. Five parts, and you got a clip to go over your pocket. Six parts. Now I have all the parts of the pin, and they're all in close proximity. Evolution says, and they tell students, you know, early in Earth's history, it was an open system allowing energy to come in from sunlight and lightning strikes and thermal energy from volcanoes. So it caused chemicals to come together because you had an energy source. Well, here, I'll add energy. You think it's gonna become a pin? How about if I just spin it just right, or maybe if I kick it or something? Is it gonna come back together as a pin? We, we kinda know the answer. But all these textbooks, an experiment from 70 years ago, a scientist kinda had a little explosion, the Big Bang was an explosion, he created a few of these little colored beads. Now they're biologically useless, because they would never link up to form a useful protein. But he formed a few of the colors, and the textbook says this is how life probably formed on Earth millions of years ago. See, that's pure fantasy. But to be fair, we gotta do experiments, so I'm gonna add a firecracker, a really compacted form of energy. Maybe this will do it. Okay, here we go. Gonna add the firecracker to the can of evolution. Boom! Love science. And then, oh my goodness, I hate it when that happens, but there's the pen. <laughs> well, you're laughing. What are you laughing at? By the way, in Fiji, you can't even think for the roar of laughter that goes up from a thousand kids, because they know how absurd it is. Now think about this for a second. We have allowed an education system in our country where 95% of every single child that goes through it is taught that something a million times more ridiculous than you just laughed at because it was so silly is a fact of science, and that's where life came from. Think about that. It borders on child abuse. No, I'm serious. We are getting them to think the absurd is actually true. And it's the only thing they're allowed to hear in the public education system. Think about the implications. Now, I'm gonna just look in the biology section. The book these kids get, it's a devotional. And every day of the year, there's just this fun little interesting thing that connects science, connects the world around us, connects nature to the Bible, to reality, to the fact that we have a God. And at the bottom of every page, there's a Bible verse. Now this happens to be August 23rd, and it's about this little fish. It's really a cool fish. We like to call this a superhero. Superhero? He's only about this long. He's not very colorful. And it looks like someone punched him in the face and he has a black eye. Why is he a superhero? Because of what he can do. 
You see, where this fish lives off the island of Hawaii, it's the only place in the world we find this fish, he lives in the ocean and he has to lay his eggs, or she lay her eggs, in fresh water. If she lays her eggs in the ocean, they're gonna die, there'll be no more fish. She's gotta lay them in fresh water. But there's no fresh water except for where a waterfall comes down, hits a pool, and then flows immediately out into the ocean. If she lays her eggs at the bottom of the waterfall, they're gonna get flushed into the ocean, no more fish. And yet this fish is there, it survives. How is it gonna lay its eggs where there's fresh water? Any ideas? Remember, it, it can't lay them at the bottom of the waterfall. It's got to get to the top, right? How's it going to get to the top of the waterfall? Any, any guesses? Yes? It'll fly up. Actually, that's the first answer all the students give me. There's such a thing as flying fish. But guess what? They don't have wings. That waterfall is 440 foot tall. A flying fish can't get more than 10 feet above the water, ever. It can't, it has no muscles, it has no feathers, it's too heavy, it just jumps and glides and comes back down. It can't fly to the top of the waterfall. It's not possible. Well, how's it get there then? How's it survive? Oh, it grew arms, legs? Well, okay, kind of like Spider-Man? <laughs> yeah, so it's a super fish, right? Superhero. Well, actually we're not far off. There's another movie has Ethan Hunt, Mission Impossible. Dun, 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 dun. I do that in Fiji, and all the students start laughing. They've all seen the movies. He has these suction cup gloves, and he climbs up. Turns out that's exactly what happens. This fish has a suction cup underneath of it. The only fish that has this. And it sucks it to the front of the wet rock, shoves with its tail, pushes, shoves, pushes, shoves climbs 440 feet to the top, and then jumps into the fresh water, lays her eggs. They become little fishlings and are flushed back and go out in the ocean and repeat the process. Now, how's that happened by evolution? Evolution has nothing but random changes to a programmed information of a fish that didn't have a suction cup. Couldn't have just appeared. And how would the fish know what to do with it? And it'd have to be perfectly formed. You ever try to use a suction cup that's cracked? It doesn't work. It had to be perfect. At the same time, she had to lay eggs in fresh water. It all had to be there, along with the ability, the instinct, and how did she even know there's fresh water up there that's gonna be good for her? None of it, unless it's all there at once. See, God does these things so we will, I think, stand in awe. Don't lose the wonder of the things God has done. It's why they're there. Nothing else can appreciate them, only people. And we pretend they made themselves. One other example, November 2nd. By the way, at the bottom, after you read about this fish, it says, for by him all things were created, that that are in heaven, that that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him, Colossians 1.16. It's that reminder every day, God's the one behind it. Gonna impact kids' thinking. Last example, a honeybee. This is November 2nd. By the way, we, uh, Corey thought of this first. I love this man. We're in front of a thousand kids. He said, I'm gonna, would you like to have a book? Let me read a page out of this. It's such a cool book. I'm gonna read November 2nd. Anybody born on November 2nd? 
And in a thousand kids, there's always, you know, one or two or four, and they'll raise their hands and they'll say, your new name is now Honeybee. And all the kids break out laughing, and they have a great sense of humor. Well, what about the honeybee? Harvard University researchers decided, let's figure out how smart a bee's brain is. How, I mean, it has a brain the size of a grain of sand, all right? That's the honeybee's brain. How many neutrons can you pack in there? How smart is it anyway? So the researchers took the bees, and then they moved its a really concentrated source of food about 100 feet away. And they timed, click, click, how long will it take the whole hive to find it? Well, sure enough, a bee goes out there, he finds it. This is so cool. Bees, we've known this for decades. It comes back and it does this little dance where it wiggles its butt and it does this little dance through the hive and all the other bees are watching it. Ooh, this is pretty cool, what's he doing? Now, why? If it was me and George came back and started wiggling his butt, I'm thinking, epileptic fit. Why is he doing that? How could the other bees even know why he's doing it? Turns out, after years of study, that bee figures out exactly where the sun is. It dances in an exact direction at an angle from the sun at that moment, so the other bees know exactly what direction to fly. And then it goes around in a circle of the number of times that tell the bee how far to fly. So it tells them what direction and how far to fly, and then they all fly. It took them about 10 minutes they find the food source. Okay? So then, the researchers do it again. They move it 200 feet away in the same direction. Again, it took them about 10 minutes, they found it. Did it again, they moved it 300 feet away. 10 minutes more, they found the food source. Then, they thought, well, we'll move it one more time 400 feet away. By the time they had carried the food to the position in the same direction, 400 feet away, the whole hive of bees was there waiting for them to show up with the food. <laughs> While the researchers were studying the bees, the bees were studying the researchers. Isn't that cool? Does that happen by accident? A grain of sand brain outsmarted the Harvard researchers. So cool. I love God. He's got such a great sense of humor. Now, again, trust the Lord with all thy heart. You know, if we lean on our own understanding and we leave him out of our thinking, we are almost guaranteed to come to the wrong conclusion. It's not that people who don't believe in creation are stupid. It's not that they're out to deceive themselves and then they go on to deceive others. It's that they're leaving God out of their thinking so they become vain and foolish in their thinking. It all made itself. But we're to acknowledge him and then he'll direct our paths. And our paths are guided by our thinking. It's always what we think that leads to how we act, what we believe. Now, last little section is about the geological sciences, and just one example here. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Okay. You see, the Bible spends more time talking about a world-covering deluge that totally restructured this whole globe about 5,000-ish years ago, probably a little less, than it does talking about the creation of every single form of life in the entire universe. And then it talks about the flood again in the book of Job. It talks about the flood again in Psalms. It talks about the flood again in the prophets. It talks about the flood again in the Gospels where Jesus said, have you not, how's he phrase this? As in the days of Noah, so it shall be before they were all taken away. Now I've paraphrased, but Jesus is referring to the flood. 
shows up again in Hebrews. All through the Bible, it's talking about this flood. Why? Because if we leave it out of our thinking, we will misinterpret everything about Earth history, and we'll leave God out. We'll think all those rocks are filled with animals that gradually got captured in rock layers over millions of years, when in reality they formed rapidly and recently as water covered the entire globe. See, nobody digs up a fossil like this trilobite and, and you know, like a seashell, maybe I'll hold it up to my ear and I'll listen really, really close and a hundred million years ago, I was crawling on the bottom of the ocean. Really? What happened? A rock hit me in the head and I died. <laughs> no, it doesn't talk, that was me. It doesn't come with a label, it's interpreted. And if you're trained millions of years, billions of years, millions of years, billions of years, slow accumulation of the rocks, you're going to misinterpret it. And you're gonna think death has always been around, and disease has always been around, and bloodshed's always been around. That's what those rocks are filled with, death, disease, bloodshed. Well then if God made mankind and called creation very good at the end, God is a God who calls millions of years of death and disease and cancer a good creation, a very good creation. It, see, it can't, it doesn't work. And he said, in six days, I made the heavens, the earth, and all that they contain. What's that mean if it doesn't mean what it says? And Jesus said, at the beginning, I made male and female. The Bible says, in the beginning, God made the heaven and the earth. People were made at the beginning of creation, not after millions of years. So those rock layers can't be millions of years old. But how do we know? How can we absolutely know by observing creation that they were created and there was this flood? God wants us to know the truth. The more we deceive ourselves, the more God makes the truth apparent so that we can come back to acknowledge him. That's his purpose. So we can know he exists. You see, about 15 years ago, this researcher, Dr. Mary Schweitzer, now she believes in evolution, but she found a Tyrannosaurus rex bone in, in Montana, pulled it out, it broke. She said, oh, it smells like rotted flesh, but it's been in the ground 60 million years. It couldn't still stink. Everything should be long gone. All of these molecules, they start unzipping and falling apart. DNA, it starts disappearing within days of dying. And even in a laboratory, like uniform temperatures, these molecules can't last more than tens of thousands of years. They can't, we know this. We know the laws of science. We know how fast they disappear. But when she looked inside, she found blood cells inside of blood vessels that were still there. She found fragments of DNA that should have been gone, totally gone. It's like a book of information where every 500 years you rip it up and throw away half of it. And then after another five years, you're down to a fourth. And after another 500 years, you're down to 12%. And after 2,500 years, you're only down to 6%. Well, after a couple hundred thousand years, there isn't even a single letter left. And yet we find lots of DNA still in these bones. She said, oh my goodness, as I look at these bones, I got goosebumps. It looked like a modern bone. I couldn't believe it. After all, they're 65 million years old. How could the blood cells survive? Now I wanna play a little video of her being interviewed. Listen to her words as she describes what's been found. And she's under lots of attack to admit she's just made a mistake. Oh, that's just bacteria, it's just contamination. 
Well, I'll tell you as she went on how she, what else she found, but listen to her being interviewed. The scientific world is still reeling from the discovery of actual Tyrannosaurus rex cells and soft tissue unearthed last week at a Montana excavation site. Thank you for having me. So, is that amazing to find this kind of soft tissue in a fossil this old? And what can the soft tissue really tell us? Um, well, it is, it is it's very amazing. It's uh, utterly shocking, actually, because it flies in the face of everything that we understand about how tissues well, and cells are 70 million years old. You don't expect to find soft tissue, do you? Not at all. No. It's, it was utterly shocking. So you have to sort of rewrite the book as far as fossilization goes, I, I assume. Well, that's, that's the exciting part for me. I've always been very intrigued by how, um, how things change in going from a living being to part of the rock record. And um, like I said, a lot of our science doesn't allow for this. All of the chemistry and all of the molecular breakdown experiments that we've done. You know, well, okay, I'm gonna, I want that ringing in your ears again. I, I could go on, but I'm running out of time. All of our chemistry, all of our molecular breakdown experiments don't allow for that tissue to be there. Everything we know about science says those bones can't be millions of years old. Every experiment, everything we observe, everything we test, okay? It's obvious. If they were buried during Noah's flood, big bones, deep inside, there could still be stuff that hadn't totally disappeared yet in 5,000 years. It's a scientific impossibility that it could still be there after millions. But she's been trained to think millions of years, billions of years, millions of years, billions of years. She's willing to throw out everything she knows in order to hang on to her belief system, which needs the time to explain things without God. The evidence is it's not that old. And if the bones aren't that old, the rock layers aren't that old. God is making the truth so obvious. Are we going to accept his word because the evidence supports it or just go along with the world? And again, Another scripture, God tells us this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, it's not talking about our actions. Pastors use this to say, don't, don't act like the world. It's talking about our mind. Don't let your mind be conformed to this world because they leave God out of their thinking. So they're gonna come to the wrong conclusions. But when you line it up with God's word, then you'll know or prove what's good and acceptable and perfect, even the will of God, by reading his word and believing it. You see, these are reality. Creation, 10 times, says creatures reproduce after their own kind. That's biology. This is a book of biology. It's not exhaustive, but it gives us the framework to understand all of biology. That, wait a second, the um, corruption of creation, that's why death exists, not because it's always been around. There's been a worldwide flood that laid down the rock layers recently and rapidly, not over millions of years. That's geology. And people spread out after the flood and then in the most momentous event of all of the universe, the one who made the box, the whole universe, the whole earth. I mean, just think for a second. I, I will do this with the kids. Think of how enormous the universe is, and this God that made it, he spreads across the galaxies, and he spreads them apart, and he sees the solar system, and he splits it apart, and he finds this little teeny planet called Earth, and he reaches down onto this little teeny planet, and there's this infinitesimal little tiny person. That's every one of you. And he says, I love you. I love you so much. I don't want to be separated from you. I 
don't want you to die in your sin, but you deserve to die because your sin will spread if I just let you live forever. No one would be left to serve and obey and live a good life. So I'm going to die in your place. I'm going to become a human being, the one who made it all, and I'm going to die in your place to pay the debt that you can't pay. What a God. What love. What a phenomenal concept. The wonder of God. So that's what we teach these kids. Think what would happen in America if every single high school in the country was allowed to have a one-hour presentation where they got to hear this stuff. Wow. That's what's happening in the nation of Fiji. Now, I reserved the last 15 minutes for the world debut of a documentary that's been in the making for six months since my son joined us in Fiji way back in October. This is the very first week I just received it that it's ever been seen. It is 45 minutes long. And by the way, at the very end, I want to just talk about some resources. One of them is in my newsletter that comes out four times a year. And it's real short. It's just got interesting, beautiful color articles about the evidence for creation. And next month, everybody on my newsletter list is going to get a DVD with a 45-minute version of this documentary. You're going to just see a real short 15-minute summary. And they're also going to get the presentation I just gave as a presentation that can be shown in schools and to friends and neighbors. And it's all going to be on the same disc. And it'll come if you're on the newsletter list. So sign up. But let's wrap up by watching what God can do with this message when we connect science and reality back to God's word in an entire nation. So, and it's really inspiring. So let's look. Let's just hang on. Okay, try it again. Okay, here we go. I'm going to sit down and watch it too. So I've only seen it once. The book we gave away is called it's the pearl's impact. Fiji um, was known as the cannibal capital of the world before the British explorers and the missionaries came here. Um, the Fijians worshipped their ancestors. They had lots of different spirit gods, very superstitious people. And, um, and, and they were very vicious cannibals. Uh, every war ended up in eating other people, believing you can get their powers. Uh, every Fijian temple that was built required 16 human sacrifices, four men to hold each of the four pillars of the temple voluntarily. And so when the first missionaries came here in the mid-1800s, you know, it was, it was a time of great risk, you know, those who came. Um, and yet it did not take very long after the missionaries came that they were uh, successful in bringing the gospel. Um, there was a high chief of Fiji, Rathusero Dakambao, who was also a pretty vicious cannibal. And uh, once he embraced Jesus Christ and the gospel, um, he really was part of um, leading Fijian people to accept Christ. And it didn't take long before the gospel started to spread through the lands. 
for generations, students in Europe and America and in most of the developed world have been taught evolution's a fact. Science can explain everything. Everything can be explained without God. And it becomes locked in their thinking. It becomes reality. So there's this huge mountain of resistance you've got to get over to get them to even begin to consider the Bible. In nations such as this, this, that mountain doesn't exist. They're starting to hear all this information that, that essentially says you can't trust the Bible, but they haven't bought it all yet. They haven't swallowed that bite of the, the, the lie, the apple. So now we're preparing a whole generation with all the evidence that the Bible can be trusted. And then as the lie comes in, the truth has been firmly established and the lie has the mountain to get past. So in the United States of America, you're not gonna walk into a school and talk about creation. It's just, it's not possible. Uh, but in Fiji, there is no actual law or restriction against talking about creation uh, in schools. As long as they cover the national curriculum, they're allowed to talk about God and memorize Bible verses, kind of like America 100 years ago. But what both he and the leaders of the country were noticing was the textbooks, the curriculum strongly promoted the idea that everything made itself, that evolution's a fact, that there's been a big bang, there's been millions and billions of years of Earth history, totally leaving God out. He had this beautiful book called Inspired Evidence, the 365-day creation science devotional. He said, what do you think the chances are if I were to print up 18 or 20,000 that we could give these away to students in, in schools? And uh, just with that suggestion and a bit of prayer, uh, I said, let's do it. Let's give this a chance. And so with that, we, we met a couple of principals who were willing to allow us to come in and uh, God miraculously opened up, I think, a little over 25 schools that year with Inspired Evidence. These kids read these books over and over again. It's not like they would just read a page and be done. They would read page after page, and when they finished it, they'd go read it again. And it, it was so well received. Um, the students were so happy. The principals were so happy. We met again after this, and we, our team asked ourselves this question, would it be possible to do this throughout the entire country? There's 178 high schools across the country. Why couldn't we do this in the whole country? It was not too long after that that we received a letter from the Ministry of Education giving us permission to go into the schools of Fiji with, the, with our Pearls in Paradise and Creation Science team. Take it home and they can write their name on it. They own it. It's 
we had no idea the outcome. We had no idea where the funds were going to come from. But God was faithful, and we continued in obedience. I truly believe there will be thousands of Fijians in heaven someday because of this work. Um, the impact continues and grows. Each trip brings exciting new testimonials. This principal stood up, and he said, Today, I have heard it from the horse's mouth from real scientists that what my Bible says is true. It is reliable. And he held his Bible up in the air. And he said, my faith in this Bible has been reaffirmed. And he said, as long as I am in leadership at this school, this will be a creationist school that will teach the truth about creation. She's a Christian and uh, she's a principal of a Hindu school, a very large Hindu school. So what she does is she photocopies the whole book and she gives it out to her class as part of her English lesson. And also on the loudspeaker each morning, she would read a page for their devotion. Students have taken books home, shared them with neighbors in apartments across the, the door. A student took a book home. They had a Chinese neighbor next door who happened to walk by, saw the student reading this book, asked the student what it was. The student explained that it was a devotional, every day is a different topic on science and God. He was very intrigued, she invited him to church. He came to church the next Sunday, we were preaching. He accepted the Lord as his savior that Sunday. Um, so the, the, the impact is happening uh, and it's, uh, it's just amazing. So far, we've had two trips where we've distributed the Pearls in Paradise book. We have went to 55 high schools and distributed 31,000 books of the 140,000 that have been sent here to Fiji. So we're only about um, a fourth of the way along. And yet, as we look at the map and we see all these pins of the schools we've already done and the ones are yet to do, it's an enormous impact in the major metropolitan areas. But I'm thinking of the overall impact when this project is done. And we're gonna to go to every single high school in the entire nation. It's, it's, it's this bond and teamwork between American Christians and Fiji Christians and all of us with the goal of bringing the next generation into a saving, real, believing knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I just want to thank the Christians that have sacrificed and sent gifts that I just can't imagine to make all this possible. And uh, I, I just want to, I, with deep sincerity, I want to thank people who have sacrificed to be part of all this. And uh, I know someday in heaven, they're going to see the impact just as I will, because I think there's going to be this ripple effect that will continue even into the next generation based on what we're doing here today. You know, when you're a missionary to a foreign country, you're always looking for an open door. As you go into these countries, there's always barriers, hindrances to you being able to preach the gospel. Nothing has given us more open doors in this country in the 23 years that I've been here as a missionary 
than creation science and pearls in paradise. In Fiji, we can't really go to the villages, uh, the outer islands and the provinces. But with the Pearls in Paradise project, it is the Ministry of Education that is authorizing us to go up to every school. Well, where are these schools located? These schools are located in the outer islands, in the provinces, out in the villages, places we would never be able to go. And it is now the school that is bringing the students together. And what do we now have an open door to do? We have an open door to teach creation, to teach the science behind it, but where do we always end? We end with the gospel. And the books that we give them have a beautiful presentation of the gospel that's gonna stay in those villages, stay with those people. We're leaving this morning for the Asawa Islands. Our entire team is gonna take two little boats and 400 books that will be carried ashore through the water where we'll speak in two high schools to students who very seldom have visitors. They will get to hear about the reality that God is their creator and their savior. So our entire team is extremely excited today. things about this is that it's not just an assembly and handing out a book. It's almost like um, the creation science ministry is now opening their eyes to, hey, there is a God. And now we come follow up with character under construction. We're in the schools every two weeks, and now we're showing them practical application. What does it mean to me? What does it mean to the students? Mm -hmm. So we're able to teach that if there is a creator, that now they have a responsibility and an accountability to that career. And so, uh, but, you know, even as a church, so we, you know, we've been blessed as people come and, um, you know, we, they talk about the book that they have, uh, you know, received uh, because uh, as these uh, scientists go out and distribute the book, they said, if you have any questions, go to these church. So the scientists themselves have really helped as well. And so people that have come, we've got school teachers from Silla, you know, that have come because of the uh, book. Eh? So uh, it has now, you know, uh, set a connection. Especially Hindu schools. I'm so grateful that they open up their doors for us. And that Muslim school in Lautoka, they had us, uh, they said yes for us to come to them. That is uh, a no-no for Fiji, but that is prayers answered. Everything about this project has been a miracle. This, this has not been somebody's good creative plan. This has been the Lord's doing. It, it, it's like God has orchestrated the whole thing on every level and every step of the way. And 
we have just had to be willing to be part of it. It's, it's, it's just an honor. It, it's, we can't take the credit for what's going on here. God is the one who's really done it all. Uh, and it's just a matter of obedience. So we've already been invited to other Pacific Island nations, such as Vanuatu, Samoa, uh, to the Philippines, and we've scheduled these trips. We've printed the books, we've had them shipped there. Uh, with the smaller nations, such as Vanuatu, in one two-week period, we, we can cover the high schools in the entire nation, and that's what we're planning to do. In a nation like the Philippines, which is a hundred times bigger than Fiji, we're gonna make this teeny little dent. And again, I, I think my faith can't even imagine having the impact on a nation that large, but we serve a large God. We, we serve an unimaginable God. So I don't know what the future holds. I just have seen with my own eyes the potential of changing the future of a nation, lining an entire generation's thinking up with the reality of what God has told us is the past and what he has done in the past and presenting what he can do individually in every single human heart if we just accept him as our savior. And I know that is impacting lives. Now that's the 15 minute version. It's a 45 minute documentary and there's miracle after miracle. Corey, can your whole family stand up, please? None of this could have happened without this man and his family. 22 years in Fiji. He laid the groundwork, he had the vision, but it is God, we both said that, but I just want to honor this family. What God is doing in an entire nation. Now here's what, I just want to wrap up. We can't do this in America. It's, it's tragic, the, the direction we've went as a nation. But the truth is still there. We can show this video to people in America. These same books, there's three different devotionals. The first one we gave away the first trip and then we decided it needs to be full color hardcover because it's such a visual culture. It's called Explore the World is the version I brought here today. And then there's a third full color hardcover devotional. Give those to people, read them. Don't leave them on your bookshelf, but then give them to somebody. We can go around this blockade that they're thinking. I've spent three years filming 18 hours of this kind of teaching. This was just one lesson. This is similar to lesson number one on a series called The Rocks Cry Out. The very rocks we walk on cry out. It's set up as a Sunday school curriculum, small group curriculum, adult curriculum with breaks for questions and answers. Filmed in the Grand Canyon, Mount St. Helens, the Paluxy River, science museums all over the country, Mount Rushmore, with each of the 18 lessons showing how the evidence supports God from every area of science. All of my items are three items for $25. So you get a set of three videos or six lessons, watch them, give them to someone in another church and say, this would make a great Sunday school class. All of a sudden, you're impacting the thinking of potentially hundreds of other people. So we can do something, but we have to invest. We have to make an investment in the lives of others. And that's what all these resources are. I price them barely above what it costs to make them so you can afford to give them away. So I hope you'll do that. Take it to heart. 
get the truth out in front of people, sign up for the newsletter, share these videos, and try to impact our culture that's increasingly being blinded by a lie. So I hope this helped. I hope this was a good session to equip you for a battle that's happening all around us, and we're losing it right now because the Christian church isn't doing hardly anything in this area. So this is a tool, and I hope you can put it to use. Pastor, if you could wrap up, and thank you for having us. Amen. Let's thank him today. Would you do that? Man, it's some helpful stuff tonight. And uh, you know what? The verse that he quoted right there at the end, that even the rocks cry out that there is a God. And I think that I was reading a book today that our, our Christianity in America is just so watered down. And uh, really, we're, uh, if, if I can say it this way, uh, we live out a sorry Christianity every now and then. And we don't stand up for the truth of the Word of God. And I think something like uh, this lesson tonight should probably uh, not only encourage us. Man, I, I was watching the video over the Corey. I'm watching the video, and I'm thinking I'm going to feed. I want to go on next trip. Like, sign me up. I'm, I'm going. Pack me in your bag. I know I'm big, but I can, I can like, do something. Uh, man, I, I look at that and just see what God's doing over there. And so there's the encouragement, but then it also kind of sparks a little fire to say, what could God do in America? What could, what could God do here if believers would just realize that his word, it, it is true? And so I want to do this tonight. We're going to have just a moment of, of response and invitation. And so I'm going to have you just with your heads bowed and eyes closed. And uh, we won't have the piano playing or anything, but just in the quietness of your own heart, I want us to respond to what we've heard tonight. Maybe it's responding by praying for the work in Fiji, what God is doing there. Maybe, uh, maybe tonight it's responding by praying for our country. God help our country. And then maybe there's just somebody that you know, maybe personally, maybe it's a relative of yours. And maybe God would burden you to give them truth. God, help me to take truth to those in, in my sphere of influence. And then maybe you're here tonight and perhaps you've heard the presentation tonight and maybe there's been some doubt in your life about a creator. And so with no one looking around, I'm just gonna ask a personal question for you to think about. Are you sure that Jesus is in your life? Are you sure that if you died, that you'd go to heaven? If you're here and you'd be honest today, tonight, and again, I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you're here tonight and you'd be honest, you'd say, Pastor Dennis, I don't know if I died that I'm going to heaven. I don't know that Jesus is in my life. Would you just slip your hand right up and right back down, Pastor Dennis? I don't know that. Just right up and right back down. If that's you tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't know where you'd spend eternity, I want to encourage you at the end of the service to find one of us. We'll sh I'll show you how you could know for sure that you're going to heaven. If you do know Christ in here, again, let's just pray, God, would you help? Help me to get a hold of this. Help me with truth. Help me to be bold with what I believe. And then maybe take a moment and let's continue to pray for the outreach of this ministry, not only here in the U.S., but also in Fiji.
thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.